0: What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 147 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Caitlin Sandino-Hogan. Caitlin is a gold medalist swimmer who obviously designed her life to be a professional swimmer and really found her passion at an early age. And throughout the episode, we talk about that, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, the ability to stay focused and persevere, and then what comes after It all ends. What comes after your career as a swimmer is over? How do you transition from being an Olympic athlete, an Olympic gold medalist, and feeling like you have your whole identity wrapped up in this image of you and then transitioning into something after it all ends? Really inspirational, cool lady doing a lot of cool things and just finished her first book called Golden Glow, which I highly recommend you read because, again, it talks about her life, her perseverance, her focus, and then what comes after. Because again, like staying focused and only doing that one thing for so many years, you can lose yourself in that one thing. And at the end of a career, what comes next? And how do you deal with the emotional connection that you have with that one thing you've always done and your identity that's been wrapped up in it? So I highly recommend you get her book. You can click in the link below. It's called Golden Glow. And again, she's just such an inspirational, beautiful human being doing still what she loves. She's redesigned her life in a really cool way to continue to follow her passion and give back to the world of swimming. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone, hit the subscribe button. If you like this episode, a five-star rating would mean the world to me. And thank you so much for joining me today. I really am happy to have you here listening to this episode. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Caitlin Sandino Hogan. a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Caitlin Sandino-Hogan. She's a gold medalist from the Olympics who did swimming. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's really nice to have you. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I uh, We met a few months ago at a, at a wow. concert here in Newport. I just came back into town, yes. and we met for the first time. And I was super intrigued because, one, I haven't really met too many Olympians. But <laughs> two, within the sport of swimming, I mean... I didn't really get it to be honest, you know, like people who are embrace swimming and go back and forth in a pool and compete. So I got really intrigued to peel back the layers of just like somebody who sticks with something for so long that they're obviously passionate about. I get there's probably a lot of love you had for that sport. Definitely. Um, but I thought it'd be good for the audience to kind of understand like what kind of commitment it takes to going after your hopes, your dreams, and probably coming to points within your career that, You wanted to quit and you're over it, (laughs) you know, but before we get there, um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, your upbringing, like where mm-hmm. you grew up and a little yeah. bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I grew up in Lake Forest, California. So not very far from where we are now in Newport beach. Um, I grew up a huge water baby. Like I just loved the water. Um, we have videos where I wouldn't even get out of the bathtub. Like my mom'd be like, okay, Katie, tell me how the water. I was like, no. And I'm like kicking my legs in the bathtub. Um, but on top of that, I was just a huge jock. Like I loved all sports. I was like a huge tomboy but I had like a big bow in my hair. So I had like the girly side of me, the tomboy side of me. Um, my dad always jokes cause he has three daughters. Um, he jokes that I'm the son that he never had just because I would be playing like football with the kids on the street, rollerblading hockey. Uh, when I was really young <laughs> on Monday night footballs, I would football night, I would go put my dad's, football jersey on and I would set up a football field in our living room. I'd be like, all right, dad, throw me the ball. And I would try to score touchdowns on him. So I was definitely the full on jock from a young age. And my parents just really threw me like in everything, like any sport that they could think of, they signed me up for. And some things I love, some things I didn't love. And then ultimately it came down between soccer, swimming, and Cross country or track and field. Um, there's some sports that I liked, but didn't like love, and it was like already a full schedule. So I really committed to those three sports. Um, more so, soccer and swimming. They played off each other so well. So I would be at swim practice three times a week and soccer practice twice a week, and then Saturday would either be a swim meet or a soccer game or both. Like I would like change in the car from like a soccer uniform to a bathing suit and jump in the pool. Um, so just like a huge athletic family. And as far as we embraced it, we went to everything, but my parents were just like average athletes. Everybody was like, Oh, was your dad, you know, Olympian was your mom. I was like, no, not really. I mean, my dad played amateur or, um, intermediate sports at NAU. And my mom was like a figure skater for a few years and became a young mom. And, um, my dad's just really strong. So I think I might've gotten that genetic from him physically, physically. Yeah. Like people still say that about it. Like he's 73 and everybody's like, your dad's strong, you know? Um, so I don't really know where those genes came from per se, or like the athleticness came from my sisters were like, again, like average, you know, they got into like cheerleading and drill team and they weren't really into like the, the dedication of like a hardcore sport. But, um, you know, it wasn't until I was probably, was it was at middle of eighth grade where I gave up all of their sports and just started focusing on swimming. And that's when things really started to kind of like kick in. Um, I made my first Olympic team when I was 17. So I was still in high school so mm. it's definitely on the young side of things.
0: Um, Why though? Why'd you choose swimming at that point in life?
1: You know, to this day, I still really miss soccer. Like I love soccer. And at that time I was equally as good in soccer as I was in swimming. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately what it came down to was my swim coaches really not pushed. Cause I don't want that to sound like the bad word, but they did. They're like, you could be a great swimmer. And I didn't really hear that from my soccer coaches or right? it wasn't really talked about scholarships or continuing. Like what did a, what did a life of a soccer player look like? I didn't really hear that from my coaches. Whereas my swim coaches were like, oh, you know, we really think that you could make this cut. We talked about cuts, like a mm-hmm. qualifying time to go on to the next step and the next step. And then you could be at nationals and then maybe you can make the Olympic trials and who knows, maybe you can make the Olympics. And it, we weren't like a hardcore family where it was like, Oh, the Olympics. It was just kind of like, I worked really hard and we started seeing great results and, I just honestly did what I was told in the pool and great things happened. Um, and what it came down to is I really liked that swimming was an individual sport. Um, not that I'm not a team player, but I'm so, um, competitive. It means like everything's put on me. So what I do in the pool is all on me. Whereas on the soccer field, it takes, how many players Mm -hmm. to score a goal or how many players does it go through when your team scored on, you know? Um, but it was a hard decision. Like I said, I love soccer. I still love it. Like watching the world cup, I got so pumped up. I'm like, I should have been a soccer player. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much more glamorous than swimming. They can like put mascara on. (laughs) Um, but at that time, ultimately, I think it came down to the coaches. They're like, you can do this. Yeah.
0: Who just to jump on the soccer tip real quick. Who, uh, was your team you played for growing up?
1: Um, So I did the AYSO, and then I did AYSO Plus, and then I did the Club Avenue for a little. bit. I don't even can't even remember what we were called. That's terrible. But what happened was when I was on Club, I couldn't commit fully because of swimming, and so then I just felt like and my club, my team was really cool about it. Like be here when you can. But was then it I, like the
0: blues, or like no,
1: it wasn't the blues. Cool. It was oh, we were red and white. Ooh, hmm. I don't know if that's my mom.
0: Irvine Strikers. Not a big deal. I was just wondering if you had.
1: I know. I can't believe I can't think of it.
0: It was a local club though. Down it was. In, uh,
1: it was more like Lake Forest, Lake Forest Irvine. Lake. Hmm. Red and it was so funny. When we were writing the book, I was like, I have the worst memory. Like it's like a little, like my parents were like, are you okay? I'm like, I have the worst memory. My mom says, maybe it's because you have so many memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be
0: honest, I have a theory about that, which is really? like, and especially with, which I'd like to yeah get into is like, You being so focused and so present as an athlete, which we all are, Uh I feel like you don't capture the memories and and put them in the long-term memory like you would. You just, well, you're just living it. You're not thinking about it, like dwelling on the past, thinking about the future so much, like you're just living it. And I have periods of time in my life where it's like I was so present and Uh happy Uh with what I was doing. And like there's years I don't remember anything. That's
1: crazy. That's how I feel. And like- I'll get together with my swim coaches and he'll be like, yeah, this one day we did this one set, like the workout. And it, he'll tell me the workout and it was like really freaking hard. And I was like, I did what? He's like, you don't remember anything. I'm like, no, like I just did it. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're onto something. something
0: about just being present in yeah, the moment. Yeah. Just like
1: getting it done.
0: Yeah. So then, yeah, you transition into swimming because uh, yeah, your uh you coaches were really, they're really into it, enthusiastic about your talent. Like yeah. what, what made you talented as a swimmer?
1: You know, um, yes, literally. It's like the feel that you have in the water, mm-hmm. um, endurance. So I was a distance swimmer and I, my my nickname as a kid was Energizer bunny. Cause I would just keep going just like, like I was saying, I would go from like a soccer game to a swimming and not even be phased. And like, I would just keep going. And so, um, the, the feel that you have on the water, like when you're surfing and you're paddling out, when you're like catching that water and you're throwing it back to move the board forward, same as swimming. Mm-hmm. And it's like a feeling that you have, right? And there's some people that are probably faster on the board than others because they have that really nice grab in the water. Um, but then like physical things too. Like my husband makes fun of like how big my hands are. Well, the bigger your hands are, the more surface area you have, the more water you catch. So that essentially is your paddle, right? So there's different like features, like physically that I had, um, you know, height, hands, feet, etc., flexibility, mobility, um but then just your natural feel in the water and how coachable you are. So I swam at USC, for example, we had a head coach, but we also had a technique coach. And my technique coach would always say that I would make corrections the quickest and the fastest of anybody on the team, meaning he could tell me something, I could make that difference, I could feel it and change it and then be a better swimmer. So that was just a connection that I had from mind to feel to water to essentially execution. Exactly. Huh. Uh, and I don't, and I don't know where that comes from either. You know what I mean? We're talking about genetics and where your parents athletes, where your sister's athletes and it's like, no, they weren't swimmers. And what, what both my sisters swam. That's like, we all swim growing up here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just think, you know, even when I was playing soccer, I am s- super competitive. Like now as an adult, like I've had to like tone that down. Cause that's like not attractive. <laughs> right. I don't think my husband <laughs> would enjoy it. He already says I'm really competitive. Um, but like when I was playing soccer, whenever there was like a shootout or a penalty kick, my coach would be like, Caitlin's taking it. She's got ice water in her veins. Like nothing really fazed me. And for swimming, I mean, to be completely honest, um, I didn't love it. Like it, it's a lot of work. You're staring at a black line up and down every single day, twice a day the on the bottom of the pool. Yep. And it, it's hard. Like you, even when you swim easy, it's hard but I loved to race. I absolutely loved to race. And that's why I did all, all the shitty stuff <laughs> to get there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it was like that competitiveness. I mean, obviously I had goals and I had things that kept me in the water. I had to drive. Right. Um, but, uh, I don't know. You just, just wired a little bit differently, I guess.
0: <laughs> so then the process to become an Olympic athlete is what you go, you choose in eighth grade to become a profet- or a swimmer?
1: Yeah, full-time.
0: And what does that mean, a full-time swimmer?
1: You know, I gave up all sports, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. i just seven days gonna a week? Uh, six. We had Sundays off. That's when I would sleep like 11 hours. Um, you and know, how many
0: hours in the pool? It,
1: it would vary. You know, when I started out as a freshman, I was very short and skinny for my age, so we couldn't do too much too quickly. Uh, we couldn't just, you can't mess up the body like that. So we needed to wait till I got some height and some, like, muscle and pounds on me. Frankly, um, it wasn't until about like my sophomore year when I started doing doubles. So like freshman year, I just swim every day after school, two and a half hours about, um, this is high school, high school. Yeah. Um, Saturday mornings would be a three-hour workout, and then we'd either have the week rest of the weekend off or we have a swim meet. So it would just kind of depend. And then sophomore year of high school, I would start going to one to two morning workouts a day, which sucks. Frankly, it was like 4:30 a.m. wake up at the pool at 4:45, um, swimming until seven, seven fifteen, and then go to go to school all day, come home, and then go to another practice. Um, I'm like a huge sleeper, like still to this day. Like I hate waking up early. So every morning when I would go to morning workout, I'd be like, I hate my life. Why am I doing this? Um, like Pete, my husband always laughs. Cause like I'm the worst morning person. He's like, there's no way you're a swimmer. Cause I feel like everybody knows when you're a swimmer, you have to get up early and go to swim practice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm just, I never could get into it. Um, and so a lot of kids my age are doing more morning workouts, but I just like couldn't pull myself out of bed. And my parents were like, we're not going to do that to her. If she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. And then my junior year of high school, I started to get more into it, picked up the morning workouts because that was the year where I think I first started really seeing my potential. Um, I felt like a lot of other people predicted me going to the Olympics before we did, or I say, we being be my family and I, um, obviously my coaches already kind of had like this sense or feeling or knew I was something special, but then going to swim meets other people would pick up on like my talent. And I made my first international team when I was 16. And I went to this meet in Winnipeg, Canada called the Pan American games. And I won both of my races and broke two Pan American records. And that's when I realized I was pretty good. Um, Was it
0: really like a light switch?
1: It really was, you know, like I was the kid, like we went to, I got invited to the Olympic training center for a swimming camp when I was like 13 or 14 years old. And it was miserable day when I wanted to go home. I'm like, I'm the slowest person here. I'm not that fast. Everybody's so into it. I'm so small. And then the only reason I wanted to stay is ESPN came and they highlighted the, 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 the swim camp. And I got selected to be like one of like the host girls, like taking everybody around to like show. I'm like, Oh, cool. I'm on TV. I'll stay. (laughs) Um, but we were like in this environment, it was like a classroom setting. And the instructor was like, who here wants to go to the Olympics? And everybody raised their hand except for me. And I was like, I want to go to the world cup. Like, you know what I mean? I just wasn't, it wasn't in my headspace quite then, then, although other people were kind of thinking that way. And then, um, after that meet, my coaches are like, do you want to train for the Olympic trials, the Olympics? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then we never talked about it again. Um, I stayed, I was on a very small club team. There's very big club teams in this area because it's so predominant, so strong around here. But I went on a small club team because when I joined a year round team or a club team, I needed to pick a team. That would allow me to play soccer also. So I went on a smaller team and then I just never left. I had a great relationship with the coach. I enjoyed it. I had my friends there. I just never left. I stayed on the smaller program. Um, so we talked about it once we told my parents and then it wasn't really talked about again. And then a year later, so to make the Olympics, you have to go to the Olympic trials, which is a time cut. Like you have to be basically a certain speed to even go to this meet. And when you go to that meet, in all the different events. So the individual races, you have to be the first or the second fastest American that day, that year, that race to qualify. Um, so at 17 years old, I qualified in three individual races and at that time it was like kind of unheard of. That was like before Michael Phelps, he made that meet, but he didn't, he wasn't Michael Phelps at that time. Um, and had my first Olympic experience in Sydney, Australia, which was surreal because Australians love swimming, which mm. is not what it's like here. Um, so you had
0: real fans, like like, the,
1: like diehard fans, like yeah. showing up, like when the Americans like would fly in and they would be like paparazzi in media there. I was like, what is going on? This is bizarre.
0: And people who loved you for you, like as a swimmer,
1: totally. And like, like they know who you are. And I was yeah. like, the only person that comes to watch me swim are like my parents. And then when you go to Australia, it's like you are the sport. It was surreal. It was a really, really exciting experience.
0: What were you swimming? Like what was your, your best, uh,
1: I swam the 400 IM that's on the first day and it's kind of known as like the most grueling race. Cause it's all four strokes, um, in the longest distance for that event. Um, the 400 IM,
0: IM stands for what
1: individual medley medley.
0: Okay. Uh, so the, a different. Yes.
1: Yeah, so you go butterfly, backstroke, brushstroke, freestyle, all okay. in one race. I swam that, the 200 butterfly, which is also a very long, grueling race, and then the 800 freestyle, which is the longest female distance race at that time. They're going to incorporate the mile in this next Olympics. So I swam basically the three like
0: most grueling races. What were you best at?
1: <laughs> um, it's hard to say because I literally was best at IM or the individual medley, uh, but I would say if I had to pick one stroke, it was probably freestyle or butterfly.
0: Hmm. And then what'd you gold medal in?
1: I was a part of the four by 200 freestyle relay in 2004. And so I was the anchor on that relay and that was our gold medal. And it was also a pretty cool history fact. We broke the oldest world record in the history books. I was 17 years old and it was the last East German women's record that stood. And that's in the, the, um, generation that the, all the East Germans were doping. So they weren't allowed to, they weren't able to prove it because of the years that had passed but it was just known that it was a doped record. Mm-hmm. So the only way it was going to get out of record book is when it was going to be broken. So it was the last one that stood in. So for 17 years to that day, myself and three other Americans broke it.
0: Wow. Yeah. pretty surreal. It was a, yeah. it was
1: like a really like iconic moment in history because of the history behind the record.
0: Right. What'd you get your silver in?
1: Uh, the 400 individual medley in 2004. I got 12 All right, I got second by 12, one hundredths of a second. Um, but it's like oh. my most proud race in like my whole career just because, um, I was stuck at a plateau for like four and a half years and I could not go best time in this race for so long. And I wanted to give up like a thousand different times because it's such a hard race. And I'm like, what's, what's the point in doing this race if I'm never getting faster? And it was just an out of body experience. Um, the girl that I was racing. Four years prior at my first Olympics, she beat me by seven and a half seconds and broke the world record and was the defending champion. And then I had to race her four years later where she just smoked me in 2000. And then in 2004, it was like neck and neck mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. until the end where she literally beat me by a fingernail. Um, but it was after four and a half years of going the same time, I went a best time by six and a half seconds. And it was just like an out of body experience. So I'm actually the most proud of my silver medal just because between 2000 and 2004, I had a lot of illnesses and injuries and I had a car accident and put on weight. And then I was in college and just the love of the sport was just very, very hard to find to me. Um, but I was determined and, you know, basically like I swam so in high school because of my parents' financial situation. I knew it was my ticket to college. Mm-hmm. Um, had I not had like this help to get me into college, I probably would have been like at Saddleback or an Ivy Le- or IVC or, you know, going to a community college, which is totally fine. But I knew that this was like my ticket in. Mm-hmm. So I basically swam in high school to get to college. And once I was in college, I felt like, you know, I had to earn my keep. Right. And so I always was kind of just basically swimming for education. Um, and then, Olympics just happened to get cool in there. Story. I have so many
0: questions. So many questions. Um, first, I want to talk about the out of body experience that you had because mm-hmm. that's a significant thing that I think athletes get to experience that the normal public doesn't get to. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people describe it in different ways. You say Out of body. I would say being in the zone. Mm. You know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I can say in my career as a soccer player. I maybe had two moments like that mm-hmm. where it's like for 45 or no 90 minutes, I was like floating. Right. I was Like not tired. Like, full legs, like, yes. you know, back and forth, yes. back and forth. Like never uh, isn't surreal? even got fatigued. Yes. <laughs> Every p- pass was perfect. Every tackle was yes. timed. Like
1: uh, It's amazing. So
0: what is that? And can you get to that place? Without having it just be a random occurrence.
1: It's so crazy because, you know, the 400 IM or the 400 individual medley is like, if you were to ask like any swimmer, they're like, oh, the 400 IM sucks. You know, like nobody likes that race. Um, and for me, it was like a love hate, obviously. Cause when you're on, you're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. But if you're off, you're like, this hurts so bad. And, um, you know, I briefly touched on like, it was a really hard four years in this specific event. And at the Olympics in 04, I just wanted to put blinders on. I didn't want to worry about anybody else. Cause in 2000, I was like a deer in headlights and I was like looking around and I was really caught up in the moment. It was like the first time in my swimming career that I was like, kind of like shucking, um, and nervous. Like I was never a nervous athlete. Like everyone's like, Oh, how do you control your nerves? I was like, I couldn't wait to race. Like, that's why I did this. Um, and so in 2000, I was like, and headlights just totally got my ass kicked in this. That was my first Olympic race. The one that I got, I got fourth in this race on mm-hmm. 400. I am. So in 2004, you know, you fast forward four years and everything that I had gone through had just been basically in a nutshell, like a really shitty four years. Um, I'd say about like six to eight months before it, things started to get back into the groove. Um, but then there was a lot of like self doubt, which I hadn't experienced before. Cause I was always really confident in myself. But I think when you're coming back from an injury, that's one of the the last things that you get back. You might physically be healed, but your mental like game or mindset is off a little bit. So I had to get a couple great races under my belt and they did. And then that day in that moment, I was like, okay, great. I'm going against this chick again, but I know like, don't worry about her. Like do your own thing. She might be like six inches taller than you and have muscles of a man, but just like do your thing. And when I was in the water, exactly what you were just saying about being on the field, like I felt so awesome from start to finish. And that doesn't happen very often in this race, any race. Like, you should be tired at the end, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, the last 100 meters, so like the last part of the race, was the freestyle. And usually that's just where you're like dragging ass. But I was like so fresh, so alive, felt so good, it felt like I could have kept going. Saw like my teammates going crazy on the side of the pool deck and like every breath I took, I could see I was neck to neck with her. And this girl's considered like unbeatable. So I'm like, I know I'm doing awesome right now. Right. And so it was crazy. Cause like when I touched, you know, you, you look from your starting block up to like the scoreboard and I kind of kept looking back and forth, like to make sure I was looking at the right lane. I was like, there's no way I just went that. So it was like, stand to know Caitlin USA second. I was like, okay, all right. She had touched me. And then I saw my time and it was like 434. And I like lost my shit because I had been going 440 for four years. And I just wanted to go like 439. I just Mm. wanted to break the 440 barrier. And to see 434, I just was like, oh my, I like started celebrating to the point where people thought that I thought I won because I was so happy. They're like, Caitlin, you got second. The girl beat you. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm so pumped on this right now. And it wasn't like, I didn't really know how to explain it. And the, the, my last two and a half years of my swimming career, I was at the university of Michigan training on the post-grad team with Michael Phelps and his head coaches, Bob Bowman, who was my coach. And it wasn't until I was listening to Bob speak and he had talked about out of body experiences. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's what I had. Cause for the longest time, I didn't know how to explain it to people. I just felt like I was just in the best shape of my life. It was that day, that moment it all clicked how do you describe it? And I think that's the best way I could because like I literally like I felt so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just like, and never again did I swim that fast in that race? Really never. So you yeah. couldn't
0: read couldn't redo
1: it. You know, after 2004, I was trying for the 2008 Olympic Games. I was trying to make the hat trick and things were looking good up until about 2007. I had a good meet the summer before the, um, 08 trials. And then two months before the Olympic trials, I blew out my knee. And then two weeks before the Olympic trials, I got a severe upper respiratory infection. So basically right then and there, I knew like my swimming career was over. Um, and it just like wasn't in the cards, which, which sucks, obviously, but I think it's relatable, right? Like things don't always go as planned. Um, if, if it had gone perfectly, it's like, Oh yeah, I made three Olympics and I made, and then I went to the Olympics and won more medal, da, 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 da But it's like, that's not really real life. And that doesn't always happen. And there's a reason for everything. And it was very bittersweet, but I was so ready to be done and there's so much more to life and it's just a new chapter. Um, so to say that I had that when I, like when people ask me about like what's your proudest moments or what's the biggest moment, like that race, that day is my moment. And I'm stoked on it. You know, it's like, sure. It would have been like the cherry on top of it. And then I was like, Oh, and I, and I won gold and I broke a world record. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, totally. Okay. Saying that like my favorite race is a second, because for me personally, like that was my personal gold and to still to this day. And I think it's a, I think it's really important for our youth to know that. And with my book coming out, like I wanted, I want that story to be known because I think we're in this world or society where we don't celebrate personal best. We only celebrate like the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's sad. So my whole mission and my whole kind of like platform when I, cause I love motivational speaking. I love speaking to the next generation. I love inspiring and encouraging. It's just, just go for your best. Cause that's all you can control. Right. And if it's your best, like that's a gold it doesn't matter. Ultimately, like if you're seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th last, if you've never been that good before that fast before, like that's something to celebrate. Um, so it doesn't always have to be like shiny gold. I'm all about the silver linings
0: and the glow, like <laughs> the glow, book, just keep golden, it glow. golden, golden glow. <laughs> that is the book that you've just written. Yes. That's out and what? Amazon. And yeah. Amazon,
1: on Amazon. Um, I'm excited that we picked up, we got picked up by a pretty large publishing company called Roman and Lilyfield. So you can get it there. You can get it on Amazon. It'll be in the bookstores. Um, yeah, you know, writing this book was something, It was a bucket list, really. It was something that I wanted to do since I was done swimming, but I'm glad I did wait because what I was so honored or flattered by is that we were going to self-release first, you know, and just kind of just because I wanted to do it so badly and found a co-author that wanted to do it as well but what the publishing company likes so much is that it's talks about more than just swimming because there is more to life than swimming and sports and gold medals and everything. So there's a lot about the upbringing, how amazing and instrumental my parents are. Um, that's a question I get a lot. Like what were your parents like? And I said, I have the best swimming parents cause they know nothing about swimming. Um, they just love me unconditionally and that's why I had no fear of failure. Um, I feel like as soon as our kids or I mean, my husband and I don't have kids, but being at that level, you see as soon as an athlete or a child, is worried that they're going to let somebody down by how they perform on the fields in the pool, et cetera, et cetera. They have a fear of failure. So if you, as a parent or an uncle or an aunt or whatever your role is in a child's life, if you can show love to an individual, no matter how their performance is, you're not giving them the opportunity to back down because they're afraid. Um, so just putting themselves out there every time. So I knew first place, last place, DQ don't want to swim. I knew that my love was never going to change for my parents. And I think that's part of my mental um, strength is that I know that my love's not determined on how fast I am in the pool my parents cared more about me being a nice person and, you know, being something positive in the world more than my swimming career. So I talk about that a lot with like the family relationships and the dynamics. Cause I just think that's so important. Um, yes, I have four Olympic medals, but it wasn't just me that earned those. I mean that day. Yes, of course. But there was a lot of people that were a huge part. Like it truly does take a village, um, from coaches to physical therapists to obviously family, your support system, your teammates, um, and some people that you wouldn't even like realize, like that had like a huge part in your life, like your sister's boyfriend at that time. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just like positive people, like everybody's put into our life for a reason. Um, so the book, you know, really is a walk through my life, um, what I was like as a child through the swimming. And then obviously I really wanted to focus on the trials too, mm-hmm. because all the speed bumps I like to call them, or the stop signs or the obstacles. I mean, that's what makes it all the more bittersweet and more relatable. Like I put my pants on like everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. and everything was not awesome for me. And there was times I wanted to give up and there's times where I was 20 pounds overweight and that didn't want to swim and I didn't want to be in a bathing suit and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, not making the third Olympics. What do you do after that? Because a lot of people, of their identity is in their sport. So they're very lost afterwards. Um, so this touch was on, um, how I got really involved into a nonprofit charity that was basically my passion and my outlet for five years after I was done swimming. It was just giving back and, um, working with the Jesse Reese Foundation is all about spreading hope, joy and love to children fighting cancer. Uh, so trying to bring them boosts of encouragement while they're going through this, you know, terrible disease. Um, so not only did I feel like I was making a difference, this nonprofit was making a difference in my life and helping me find who I was post swimming. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, It was a bucket list thing that turned into, oh my gosh, this really happens. And, um, it officially comes. Did you
0: physically write it or did you like speak at somebody and they kind of dictated it?
1: Yeah, it was like a, more of like a sit down interview over the phone, back and forth. Um, going through my old, I kept journals during the Olympics and reiterating that and Mm -hmm. deciding if I really wanted to be like that, um, exposed to everybody and letting people know, like, at 17 years old, when I got fourth in that race in my first race, like I wrote that I felt I let down our country and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's pretty heavy for a 17 year old, you know? But I think that's important because you see how much pressure we feel going into the Olympics. You know, like everybody's like, Oh, you're going to win a medal. You got to win a medal. It's got to be gold. It's got to be gold. And then I look up and I see four next to my name and like, you don't get a medal for fourth, (laughs) you know? So the whole experience was pretty therapeutical. Um, writing this book uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, I, I joke about it, but I do have a terrible memory. So now I'm just excited to have like this book, um, to help me relive and hopefully pass it on to, you know, the next generation. Um, ultimately I wanted to write the book to inspire and to encourage and to motivate. And then, um, I also, it was a emotional time for me personally, cause my mom was just diagnosed with cancer when we got into the thick of writing this book. So at that time of my life, I really put a lot of things on hold. And my mom was my top priority he basically like moved in with my mom and dad because my mom wanted my dad to stay at work and my mom had a thousands of doctor's appointments and just didn't feel good. So making sure she was eating. Um, so that was kind of my outlet. That's when I started writing it, communicating a lot with the co-author. Um, so it was, um, it was emotional. It was an emotional time for me. I'm not a super emotional person in general, um, but reliving some of these moments and you touched on it earlier. It's like, when I was swimming, I was doing it and I didn't really take anything in. And even my parents said like, we don't think you realize like how good you are or how talented you are, or how amazing this is. And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it like this. I'm going to SC. I'm on a forward scholarship, like paying bills, you know, quote unquote paying bills. And then, you know, I swam professionally for four years also. And that was legit paying bills. Um, and it wasn't until years later, I realized how cool it was and how surreal it was and how much I wanted to embrace it. Cause for a while I wanted to get away from it. And it's like, I now I'm okay with accepting this platform and, you know, writing out that Olympian once an Olympian, always Olympian if I can use it for the greater good. Right. So we have this platform where we can share our stories and inspire others and get involved with these nonprofits and use your accomplishments as a leverage as that first in, right? Like you can't, not anybody can just walk into a children's hospital and like want to hang out with kids. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's Very laws, much. right? Yeah. Um, so when you sync up that way, so, um, I'm going to embrace it for as long as I can. And I'm in the time of my life right now where opportunities are more present, um, with social media and, um, how we're trying to grow our sport through a couple different other, um, like leagues and professional swimming and um, just trying to be as strong as a role model for this generation where I feel like is kind of in this uh, unfortunate social media world uh, where there's a lot of like, unreal expectations or uh, pressures and just
0: trying to be a positive light in that. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of circle back with the expectations, you know, and you feeling like you let down the country, but you never <laughs> felt like you let down your parents because even though I think You articulated that, you know, you always felt loved by your parents. Like, I felt the same. However, when I looked towards the sideline, when I missed a shot, Mm -hmm. like, I interpreted their facial Bum. reaction as like failure. Yes. You know, so yes. how did you not internalize that? That's so
1: funny. Cause I've been trying, cause I did a lot of mentoring when I was first done and I was trying to, I like couldn't find the right words and like they're bummed because they're bummed for you. Cause I know you're bummed because you didn't make the goal. Right. And it's like, and then you're excited. So they're excited. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like, obviously, it, cause my mom was actually my soccer coach when I was younger and there'd be some games where she'd be like, dude, you're off. And I'd be like, okay. You know what I mean? You know, so she would call you up but it, yeah, didn't she'd call you you. it didn't bother me. And it's just huh. like, Oh, I knew it. You know what I mean? But I, I don't mean to brag. Like that didn't happen very much. Like I freaking <laughs> love soccer. And I was like a balls to the wall, like every single game. Like I was so aggressive and so into it, even though I was so tiny. Um, or it, I don't know. It just didn't phase me. And I don't really remember that, you know, like so in swimming, you can get DQ'd or disqualified. If you like, you break your stroke or you do something wrong. Like, a lot of little kids get DQ'd and it's like, I got DQ'd, like, one of the first times I swam the 200 Butterfly, which, ironically, I ended up swimming into Olympics. And I remember, like, I went to, like, DQ Dairy Queen. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, you, my parents are bummed. It's like, oh, I got, like, a, I got, like, a, what is it called? A frosty yeah, or whatever. Yeah. The, blizzard. Yeah, exactly. I got a blizzard after that, you know? Um, so, like, yeah, I, so I don't
0: it's just know. kind of your makeup, like, cause yeah. I remember my mom saying the same thing after a basketball game where it's like, you're off. You're it like, crushed me. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't meet up her, like live up to her expectations. Right. And I mean, Pete and I played basketball for Uh, years together. We were like on similar teams and stuff. And like, yeah, I really think about that a lot, especially in today's world with, you know, parents like pushing so hard, hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, my soccer coach from high school, Ziad Corey, who's also on the podcast, wrote a book similar to this where it talks about the influence of parents and like how They actually are destroying the child's prospects of ever doing anything spectacular because they're just such satellite parents. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to be the best. You got to be the best. Uh huh. And it sounds like you didn't have that because your parents were kind of like not into the sport. They supported you. Supported. But they didn't. They weren't your coach in the swimming aspect. But they also right. You were not susceptible, sort of, to the. (laughs) Well,
1: it's interesting because in college, if I would have an off race. My, my head coach would be like, he said he almost liked it when I had a bad race because he knew my next race was going to be better. So I always used that to fuel the fire instead of dim the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, even at the 2004 Olympics, I had a crossover where I had an individual race right before I had that relay. And the individual race, I was actually going in seated first, which was kind of surprising. I didn't think I was that strong in this race at the time. And I had a good race. Like I went at best time, but I got fourth and I was fucking pissed afterwards, but I knew I had the relay. Like, I think it was like 35 minutes later. So that, you know, like after you, you race, you need to like cool down, warm down, you know, get ready for the next. And my coach came over and he knew I was bombed and he's like, I know you're going to swim so good on this relay. And I did. Like That's I had an...
0: anchored at one goal. Yeah. No way. Yeah,
1: totally. And I was just like locked in. Like, I remember like you walk up like they announced like your team and you walk up and you like raise your hands and then you go back down. And as soon as I did that, I went away from my teammates and I sat back cause I was the last one. And like against this like fence basically. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there just like kind of getting that slim out of me, but then refocusing and just getting locked in. And I knew that was going to be my last race of the Olympics, which turned out being my last Olympic race in general. And then, yeah, I had like this surreal relay split split and then to celebrate the gold and the world record and everything. And that was after what I considered a disappointing swim, like moments before. So I what think- What do you mean
0: the- getting locked in? What would you do? What kind of behaviors would you-
1: um, You know, it's funny because <laughs> uh, we had a family friend that nicknamed me, nicknamed me badass swimmer chick because- I'm a very outgoing, gregarious, like fun loving person, but like before I'm about to race, people are like, oh my God, I was so intimidated with you. I thought you were going to like rip my head off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just lock in, like caps on, goggles on, like focusing. But at what this- are you
0: thinking about? Though? <sighs> like, are you thinking about anything? Are you thinking about your stroke? Are you thinking about breathing techniques? Are you thinking about. Uh,
1: not, I, <laughs> no, because I feel like you don't, at that point, you shouldn't be thinking. You've already done all the work. You already know how to do it. So when you think, you're gonna slow yourself down because mm. like you get in your own way. Um, A lot of times I'd be listening to music, but like even so, I would have other moments where I'd be like laughing right before it and like messing around with a teammate beforehand. So it's like I, but like, but then when I get on the block, it's just like it's on. Um, I it was, yep. it was just competitive. Like I literally like would be your best friend right before the race or right after the race, but like on the block or in the pool, it's like you're going down. <laughs>
0: It sounds just like that presence. You were able to maintain yeah. a long period of presence. Presence,
1: like, yeah, like to the point where like people are like I would straight up would have friends that I'm friends with now and be like, dude, when I was racing, you I was like terrified of you, and mm-hmm. I was like, really? And like, mm-hmm. and they laugh, they're like, yeah, I know you now. I'm like, why was I ever afraid of her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, But that's like, I don't want these girls not to be afraid of me, you know. And it's like, and also like, I don't care if you're a guy or a girl, like, I because when I was swimming at Michigan, I was on an all boys team, and I was like, bring it, like. I, they always made me better, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was never afraid to race anybody. Um, and you want people to be afraid to race you. I mean, you need to have that type of, um, I don't know, intimidation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a mental game too. It for sure is.
0: It's, 100%.
1: Cause everybody's like, what do you think the difference between good and great is? And it's like the mental aspect of it. Cause a lot of people are physically able to, but like, it's how you like handle it up here and in your heart too. So it's like brain and heart, um
0: yeah. oh, beautifully said, you know, tying some of the stuff you talked about into your identity after swimming mm-hmm. um, and and really not attaching yourself to the identity of a Olympic mm-hmm. swimmer, gold mm-hmm. medalist swimmer, and mm-hmm. moving on into more charitable aspects of your life and and now you're moving on. You're the general manager of what? The International Swimming League? Yes, the DC you the it. first female of all time. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, one of the first female GMs in professional sports. So the, the stats have been kind of interesting because it goes back pretty far. And there's been like different names that they call things for baseball or whatever. But when you really break it down, there's very, very few women in this role. Um And it's, it's new for swimming. It's International Swimming League or ISL. And it's four American teams and four European teams. We're basically just trying to raise the exposure and... the the growth of the sport, you know, the Olympics is the most popular and famous or well-watched sport every four years for two weeks because the Olympics and then it disappears. So there's the proof. We have the stats that show people enjoy this. We just don't show it. So basically for like the non-swimmers out there, we're trying to make the NFL swimming. It's going to take time. This is a startup. It's like the hardest job I've ever held, Uh, but it's super rewarding. It's about trying to help these athletes um, uh, make a living because a lot of swimmers can't just get by on swimming. And that's pretty sad because you know what amazing athlete swimmers are. Um, some of these kids have to have jobs while they're training for the Olympics, while they're on the national team. Um, you know, if they're not in college, cause you know, a lot of people have the hundred percent of the ability to co- keep competing after college. It's not like a young sport per se. Like you can definitely go into your late twenties, early thirties in this sport but a lot of times they don't just because the money's not there. So that's what this league's trying to do. And then from some of these younger swimmers, I'm just trying to help them build their brand, make them more desirable for um, opportunities for sponsors, endorsements, appearances. So we're riding on the wave of 2020 being next year. So it'll be a little bit of a condensed season because it's our first season and then use that, you know, they will compete hopefully at the Olympics and then ride that wave after the Olympics because honestly, something I think we talked about in the book is the post Olympic blues. It is such a thing. Cause here you are at your highest high. And for swimmers too, you're at this point where you're like, oh my gosh, like we're so well received, we're famous, we're popular, we have these opportunities. And then it just like dies down. And you're like you're like, okay, I was in the best shape of my life. I was, you know, treated like royalty. And now I'm what am I supposed to do? So the post Olympic blues is very much a thing. So if we can use ISL. We use that Olympic wave to ride off for ISL. It'll be exciting for the athletes to continue being at their peak and going to these meets and making prize
0: money and competing for something bigger than self, representing these different teams. And then, so the the meets will be held on the U.S. soil and European soil. Yeah,
1: we have both. So this year, since it's a condensed season, we have um, for me specifically, my teams will compete at University or sorry, IUPUI, which is a really well-known facility in Indiana. It's actually where I qualify for my first Olympic team in Indy. And then from there, we go straight to Naples, Italy. And then we have a little break. And then we go to the University of Maryland, which will be kind of a home meet for me since I'm representing DC Trident. And then um, from there, the top four teams qualify to the finals. And they're putting in a temporary pool at Mandalay Bay. Uh, and that'll be in December. And then you know, years going forward, we'll just keep going back between Europe and
0: the US. Rad, so when you say team, like, do they have names? Like, uh, we're the Tigers of...
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Really? So, uh, my team is the DC Trident. Okay. Um, so we're representing the tri-state area, and, um, there's like the Cali Condors, LA Current, uh, New York Breakers, and then, then four other European teams. Um, which wow. is cool, cause like you touched on, we talked about a little bit being a team sport, like something is definitely an individual sport. only time you really feel that team environment is when you're on a relay, which not everybody gets to do. And when you're representing your college. So this league is for swimmers after college. And a lot of them, like their first thing that they're so excited about is like, they're so excited to be a part of team again. Cause now they're just right now, they're just swimming for themselves. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody knows that, you know, when you have other people that you're doing something with, you get more excited and you have like a sense of pride in what you're representing.
0: Absolutely. If you could speak to one female out there, young female, who's, you know, has ambitions to be an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. What would you tell him?
1: Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like so so corny um, and it's, it's so cliche, but it embodies my story. It's just like never give up because there were so many times like it was crazy because everything went so well and so easy up until like I was eighteen. You know, it's like I did what I was told. I was a good kid out of the pool in the pool. You know, I never really got in trouble. I was like class president. Like I was like that girl, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but good things happened. Like it really is true. Like you work hard, good things happen. Like you stay on the right path, good things happen. Um, and then not so good things started to happen to me and it wasn't cause I was making bad decisions. It was just how it was. You know, it's like you can't control injuries and you can't control il- illnesses. And, um, I also have asthma. So a lot of, uh, my illnesses stem from my asthma, Um, and and, and like a car accident, like, how can you do that? I mean like that, I didn't plan for that. And so it was just, it was kind of just like one speed bump after another. And there's so many times I wanted to give up, but because I didn't, my second Olympics was like a fairy tale. Like I came home with a first, second, third, fourth, a world record an American record. Um, just was like at the high of my career. And I truly loved swimming again. And it wasn't because of that I was loving it beforehand. I think it was, i even felt more grateful because of everything I had gone through just to be there. And it made me appreciate it more and not take it for granted. Um, and then, you know, again, like after 2004, I took some time off, finished school, totally changed environments, like needed to get comfortable being uncomfortable being in Ann Arbor, Michigan, just out of my element. And then some things went great and some things didn't go well. And then, And then I ended my career not making a third Olympics, but it was like that, the, the down times or like the negative times or the unfortunate times makes the highs even higher or sweeter. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I would say in general, my whole swimming career was very bittersweet because of everything, but bittersweet in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like, I'm even like more proud that it went the way it did, you know, just because I think it's more relatable and that's what I want people to be encouraged by with my story is like just from a middle-class family that worked really hard and learned hard work through my, through my dad and learned to be a good person from my family. You know what I mean? It's just like, I wasn't like, I'm not special. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Those low times though, like when you were just like, this sucks, I'm over it. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you then get in the pool that at four (sighs) forty-five? Like, what would you do? You just did it. Like you just like (sighs) fucking keep doing it. Yeah,
1: exactly. It was like, for me, it's like, I knew in college, like I had no other choice. Like I was at USC to swim. So I was like, what am I going to do? Not swim. And then get kicked out of the school. Like, it was like, I had an obligation, you know what I mean? And it's like, it was a quote unquote job. And it's like us now. It's like, we don't want to go to work every day, but like, that's how life is, you know? Um, but I also think it's important to take days off or to have a mental health day and to chill out. Like that's so important. Even like today, like in today's time, like over the holiday weekend, like I just shut down for four days and I just wanted to be with my husband. That's like all I wanted to do. I was like traveling nonstop. I was working nonstop. I was on the computer, on my phone, nonstop. Like that's not healthy, you know? So it's like, you have to have your health has to be your priority. And I've learned that more than anything, even more now after being done with my career, like my sleep as a top priority, working out is a top priority, eating healthy is a top priority, but having balance, having moderation too, you know, enjoying life. Um, and I think I had a really good balance as a kid surprisingly, but that's because my parents were helping me around my life. Like now that you're an adult, like that's on you, like you have to have that balance and like only you can
0: determine that. No doubt. So you have Golden Glow Out. Yes. It's on Amazon and where else?
1: Um bookstores Bookstores. starting on the fifteenth. And it's all
0: about your life as a swimmer from start to finish. And it's co-authored, but that's just somebody who wrote it like for you. They're not it's not about them at all. It's just how they helped you write it. Yes. Yeah.
1: So I was it was funny because it was a bucket list and something that I wanted to do for a really long time. I started it and I was like, how the heck do you write a book? And then I was doing stuff at the Olympic trials in 2016 and got reconnected with Dan Diadonna. He had covered some of my swimming career while I was in Michigan because he's Michigan-based. And he was like, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, yeah, what's up? He's like, I would love to write a swimming book and I would love if you'd be interested to be my first athlete. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's like you're reading my mind. Cuz I want to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm not a writer. Um I like writing. I enjoy writing, but I didn't know how to do the process." He's like, "Let's do it together." Then we got a manager, um my own personal manager I picked up at that trials as well, and she helped us put together and then we synced up with um a publishing company and then here it is now. So it was a pretty surreal process for me. Um definitely things that I would do different next time or whatever. Like I like learned that. so much i'm um, just the whole process i mean um even like the completely honest like that was like my second choice for the cover shot like i did this like rad retro like total old school throwback with photos and stuff and the publishing company didn't like the picture they didn't think it suited it and i was like Am i really like that this mm. is my story um but it's it's definitely when you um go to the publishing company like
0: <laughs> yeah you could have self-published
1: could have yeah
0: so maybe in the future for the next book
1: maybe i mean they're such a they've been so great and it's kind of gives you a lot of street cred in the literary world. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, you don't own
0: it 100%. I hear you. And then what about uh, where the audience could go watch uh, this new swimming league?
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's really interesting. Right now we are in the thick of media rights. Uh, so we have sold media rights in Europe with the, um, with the Euro channel out there. So right now we're working to see who it falls to in the U.S. So we have some really amazing opportunities and some big names in, in the mix. Um, it's just a matter of days until we know that.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Caitlin. It's my oh, pleasure.
1: My pleasure. <laughs>
0: awesome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining us. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful human being. So happy for you that you are getting to still continue to design your life in a really cool way, doing what you love, giving back to the sport, back to the community. Remember, folks, to get her book by clicking the link below, Golden Glow. And I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy these episodes that I continue to deliver. I hope they're really inspiring you to think about your life, your life situation, and possibly make that change to go after what you want. As you heard Caitlin say, you know it's not an easy road, but it's worth it in the end, just persevering, pushing through those those down times. I mean, look, she has a gold medal. She has multiple medals. And although it was a super incredible accomplishment to make it as far as she did within the swing community, her whole identity is not completely tied up in that. And she's been able to move past it grow into a new Caitlin into a new goal into designing her life in a new way and that's what I've taken from this episode just there is an end of the road for a lot of the things that we choose to focus on accomplish do well at and you have to continuously be willing to recreate something new for yourself so if you're sitting there and you aren't happy in your life situation think about taking that first step out into something new something that might be a little bit scary but something that you've always wanted to do Thank you for listening. I think you all are so very, very beautiful. And I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that... Maybe your whole life people were telling me was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.